0: <laughs> it was beautiful music, thank you, thank you for that. Also, thank you for that abrupt summoning, I appreciate that too. All right, so right now what's going to happen is and is we're passing out some papers, uh, you know I like to do the papers, I didn't want to give them to you guys ahead of time, otherwise you'd be like, I know this stuff already, Scott doesn't even have to talk, and I want to feel needed. <laughs> so let me, let me start with that. While those are passing out, no <laughs> thank you Mike. How's that? Uh, I, I feel better. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to real quick, I'm going to pray uh, because I don't think that there's a limit on how much prayer we can have. Um, so let's do that real quick. God, thank you so much for tonight and for giving me an opportunity to talk to your people. Help me to speak the words that you want me to speak. Help me to really hold back on the words that I shouldn't. In Jesus' name, amen. Pretty clear. I heard someone really loud named Brad say amen on that one. I have no idea why. All right, so you guys should all have that. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go through this, and today is a little bit different because today what we're doing is this is part four of James. So you've already saw some of my um, friends uh, do the other chapters. Uh, So today we're going to do James chapter number four. But before we start... Does anybody know how to say the heading on page one correctly? And go ahead and feel free to interact. Page one is the one with the error. Page one's the one that on the bottom uh, right side it says page one. I know, I thought it was funny too. Does anybody know how to say that? Do you guys know what that's from? There you go. So who knows how to say it? I really want someone to say it. Please, come on! Don't pretend. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, so all the headings tonight are songs. Most of them worked out like that, anyways. And I thought it would be fun to have you guys sing it. So there you go. All right. So first chapter. We're gonna actually go through this whole most of this whole chapter. Uh, I'm not gonna make you stand up and sit down a lot because I respect you more than Ronnie does. Um, and your knee. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. I'm just starting out. I'm like. Hey, this is my last chance this year. What's he gonna do? You know, I'm just playing. All right, so, but actually, I'm not. Uh, but let's read this together. Uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. I like that, so you kill. I don't like it because I like things getting killed, I like it because it's pretty blunt. And that's the point of tonight's sermon. What do you kill for? What do we kill for? And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, before I start, James is um, James is an interesting book because you know a lot of times when we look at the Bible, we look at it like uh, you know we're so much more sophisticated than the people that wrote the Bible. And James must be some kind of like, and I've even heard this, and I and I, it could be wrong, but uh, I could be wrong, but I really believe that James is one coherent sermon. I think James is preaching. A five chapter sermon. We put those chapters in there, uh, but he's preaching a sermon. It has a thesis at the beginning, and then he makes his case over and over again, and then he summarizes it up by the end of that. T- and it all goes together. I think it all goes together with that basic theme: that show me your faith, or, or, or tell me about your faith, and I'll show you mine. And that's that's his theme over and over and over again. So when he's talking about this. This fits into that scenario. He's basically explaining another way that we're not showing it and why we're not showing our faith. So when we have this, when we think, when we think about fights and stuff, uh, what I highlighted here was desire and coveting, because I want to make sure we're very clear on that, because James is making a, a specific uh, point here. So when we talk about coveting, that's basically wanting something that we don't got. Do you guys covet? Just a couple of you, okay? I covet all the time. Um, I've listed some here. I've got six that I want to talk about, but think about it. Let's think about some ways that we covet uh, or that we desire things. Things like, um, go ahead. Men? men? men. Yeah. Okay. relation. Oh, money. Money, yes. Okay, I was like, yes. <laughs> I, I am glad that some of you desire men, absolutely. But money, yes. Okay, so money, yeah, absolutely. Money fits there, right? what else? Uh, love. love, sex, relationships, things like that, right? What else? How about respect? Do we covet respect? How about control? Right? Um, I think we also cover security, right? We want to feel like we're all settled, like we've, we've got everything, we're, we're good, we're safe. And then, of course, the one that I think is probably the, one of the biggest ones that we struggle with in modern times is we struggle with coveting stuff. We want stuff, right? Let's give me, let, let me give you a couple of examples. So, number one, what causes problems between countries? Well, one country has something the other country wants, right? Now, that could be things like, I want you to stop attacking us. Right, so it could be that security thing again, but it could also be things like oil. I want your oil, or I want your land. Maybe your land used to belong to me, Ukraine, and I want it back. It's all about what we want. Someone else has something and we want it. It works in the big stuff, like countries, and it works at the littler stuff too. When we talk about, you know, when we think about that kind of stuff, and of course, I always ask myself, and I heard this lots of times, and at first I thought about it uncritically, and I thought, well, that makes sense, but now. Thinking about it critically, it's kind of a terrible thing to say when we say things like, well, I'm glad that we're fighting a war over there and not on our land. Have you heard that before? Have you heard that? Like, we're taking the war to them. And that's probably really great for us, but it's really terrible for the people who happen to be living there. So sometimes a perspective change needs to happen. What causes arguments between spouses? And please don't all yell out about your specifics. Think about a big picture. Money, right? Money, how we spend our money, what we can buy with our money, what we're going to do with our money, uh, whether we're going to buy a DVD or not with our money, things like that, Mm -hmm. right? Um, What about um, how much time we spend with them? Now, it could be like just I want to spend time with you or you're not spending enough time with me or there's always that quality time euphemism. You know, that kind of stuff is stuff that we fight about, right? Basically, I want something from you. You're not giving it to me, so we're going to cause a fight. As if, as if my needs are fulfilled by you, which, of course, is one of the problems here, right? What about um, even just people? When you think of kids, and kids are the same thing as adults, except adults have the ability to do what they want to do without a parent telling them no, same motives. Um, kids fight about not sharing with each other. He's got the toy I want. He feels like that, that this person took something that, that's supposed to be theirs, and you're like, when did that become yours? <laughs> you know, it's not yours. The Xbox and Netflix is not yours, Eli, I'm talking to you, okay? (laughs) In, In like 20 years, you can watch this, and he'll be like, what is Netflix and Xbox? Exactly. What the world does is the world does a really great job of telling you that everything is about you. That's what we hear all the time. Commercials are about you. Television shows are about you. What you do at work is about you. We even hire people to tell them what you get from the job. There's everything you can think of. Food is about you. It's what you want to take. You cook it your way. All these kinds of things. Everything is about you. And sometimes when something comes along or someone comes along and says, you know, it's not about you, that's when you get upset. That's when the argument becomes, you know, yes it is and no it isn't and then you end up having the same problem. It all comes down to this idea of coveting. I want something that I don't have and so I look for it everywhere. So we focus on those things, and we focus on us, and then the result is always bad. Because we are terrible examples and role models for what we should be doing. We should not be copying someone else who is just like us but has more air time. Does that make sense? Like, why would we? But I want to give you some examples, and this is the meat of it. I want to bring this home to you guys because, And this is the part where I want to be careful because I don't intend to hurt anybody's feelings tonight. Um, I'm not trying to tell you that you're evil, and I'm not trying to bring up things that you've done in your past. But you have to understand that James is speaking to Christians. So from that time till this time, there has been an ongoing problem where people who have the Word of God have to tell you things that you may not want to be reminded of or you may not want to hear. I'm not telling you these things to hurt your feelings. I'm telling you these things because God told me and you in this same book that what you're doing isn't right, okay? So when I bring up some stuff today, it's not about like trying to to judge you or to make you feel guilty unless, of course, you do feel guilty, in which case, like someone told me this week, that may be the Holy Spirit. I'll leave that between you and God. But here, let me give you some examples of how we take control of our lives. We spend on a big TV or a big sweet home. We buy a new car when maybe we didn't need it, maybe we did, I don't know. We overspend on things. We eat out all the times. So we go to the movies. We spend on entertaining. Meanwhile, 22,000 children die every day due to poverty in the world. That's 22,000. I don't know how many people are in the town of Smyrna, but I'm guessing that would be a huge chunk of Smyrna if tomorrow they were all dead. And if there are more than that, it would only take a few days. I know for sure that within a week or so, Murfreesboro and Smyrna would be completely empty of people if 22,000 people died a day. That's how many people die a day. Sometimes that number's so big, you're like, how do I even wrap my mind around that? Well, you don't have to wrap your mind around it. All you need to know is that there are people suffering, and the Bible spends an incredible amount of time saying, that's our job. But instead, we're doing all this other stuff. Nearly 50% of the children in the world, one out of every two, lives in poverty. I'm not even talking about adults because, frankly, if I talk about adults, most people don't care. That's why you see commercials with, with like, young children who are, like, distended bellies and dying. We don't really ever talk about the adults because those are just adults. But when we talk about children, maybe that matters a little bit more. That brings it home. You probably have children. Here's some of the problems that we have. One percent, estimated one percent of church budgets is for local and national um, benevolence. So all of the churches in the United States, one percent of our budget on average is how much we spend on taking care of our local and national poor people, the people who need money. I'm not here to judge our church or any particular church, but I'm just saying that that seems inappropriately low the average Christian gives 2.6% of their money to, the tithe, to their tithe, 2.6. It came down over the last like 40 years from the super high number of 3.1%. That's how much Christians give. Now, I'm not going to get into an argument with you because you can't talk and I'm on the mic, so I win, I'm not going to get into argument anyways about whether or not 10% means 10% or the Old Testament says 10%, the New Testament, I don't care about that. The bottom line is, is that there are way too many instances in the Bible where Paul, Peter, Jesus, all of them are asking you to give and take care of people, and I'm pretty sure that if 2.6% of our income isn't enough to take care of these 22,000 people that are dying, then maybe we ought to up that instead of buying a new car. Maybe we ought to up that instead of seeing a new flick. Look, I love movies, and Dave, it's bad timing. You keep talking about your stupid X-Men movie. And I say stupid because I'm a Marvel, uh, you know, cinematic universe guy. But um, but look, it's bad timing. I want to go see the movies just like you do. I want to go see Interstellar. I I want to, and I'm really hoping that it's good. You know, there's a lot of movies that I want to see. I want to see the Final Hobbit movie, all these kinds of things. And am I going to change my behavior? I'm like, oh man, I could spend, you know, it's $9, or I can send $9 to, you know, a poor kid. I don't know. I'm not trying to say specifically what you have to do. What I'm trying to say is that James is calling you out. That's what he's saying. The fights and the quarrels, the troubles that you have with other people and with yourself, they are the cause of your desires being about you and what you covet rather than being about God. How you handle that, that's up to you, but I do want to point out that there's a couple of holidays coming up. Thanksgiving is a mess. And, you know, I, lo- I, I know you guys love to shop on those days, but anybody who leaves their house on Thanksgiving to go shop, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm totally being judgmental about that one. What are you doing you're, you get done eating with your turkey and you're super fast so that you can go get in line to buy stuff? Look, I do it too, except that I do it online because I'm, you know, I prefer safety. But, <laughs> but the bottom line is, is that that cannot be what Thanksgiving is about. We've taken almost every single holiday and made it about consumerism and materialism. Most of our holidays are made up by the chocolate company. I just read and it blew my mind because it just makes so much sense. I just read that diamond engagement rings were made up like 50 years ago. The De Beers Company, which kind of basically has a monopoly on all diamonds everywhere in the world for like most of the time that we can think about like civilization and culture and all this kind of stuff, they came out with it because their chairman said, quote, diamonds are inherently valueless. Yeah, they're clear rocks. That's what they are, you guys. Maybe they're hard to get, and maybe you don't find them on the beach, but they're clear rocks. So the chairman went on to say that the only value that diamonds have are in sentimentality. So you can't sell your ring back when you need money because that's your wedding ring, your engagement ring, actually engagement rings. Wedding rings might have had diamonds, I don't know. Engagement rings need to have diamonds. It's not real, St Valentine never gave out candy and money and chocolates to people. St Patrick didn't go get drunk and spend a bunch, bunch of time at parties. Thanksgiving wasn't about shopping for a future holiday, leaving your family to go shopping. Christmas is not about giving stuff to people or getting stuff to people. It's about what we already got. It's a done deal. We're supposed to be celebrating that Jesus came here. I mean that, the craziness of that, that God decided to come here for us. That doesn't even make any sense, but we celebrate by buying our kids transformers that break, and I'm speaking from experience. I had the coolest transformer one year for Christmas. I wanted it so bad. It transformed like a Robotech, Veritech fighter. If you know what I'm talking about, you're awesome. Okay? Day one, the arm popped off. Day one, I was crushed because Christmas was about that Veritech fighter. The good news is, if we made Christmas about Jesus, it never fails. It's one of the reasons why I like that we have a Christmas service. And if you don't come to it, you really ought to because at the very least, it resets our perspective. We might be completely greedy, materialistic people prior and after, but for one hour, We try to remember Jesus. It's like a microcosm of every week of our life where Sunday, one time a week, we try to be holy. Let's talk about the next one. We want a career progress. We want to get a new job. We want to make more money. We want to get the respect of our coworkers, so we put in that extra work. We put in that extra time. Meanwhile... Marriages in the United States have fallen from 72 to 51 percent because there's no point in getting married anymore. But if you do get married, all in, meaning all demographics, we're talking about probably over the lifetime of that marriage, 40 to 50 percent failure rate. It's not a huge surprise if you're always at work. What does that even do to their kids? I recently was um, I, re- I recently got a new job. Um, same company, but I got a raise, and well, not a huge raise, not enough to make it worth, never mind, Um, I got a promotion with more responsibility, and, um, and, you know, I started having, like, I was, I was getting panicky, I started getting headaches, everything, I went to the doctor, and I told him the story, he's like, has anything changed, I told him what happened, and he just looked at me, and he said, was it worth it, and I was like, well, it's kind of too late, (laughs) but really, is it worth it? We were reading a lot in the news recently about how many less vacation days we use every year. Have you guys heard about that? It was like popular on Facebook and stuff. 33% less vacation days a year just in the last 13 years. So we're not spending time with our families. We're not putting in time to get married. When we put in time to get married, we're likely to get a divorce. Kids aren't raised anymore by parents. They're raised by entertainment. And we wonder what our selfish desires are doing what kind of repercussions they have, and they do have them. The third one, we want to finish school. We don't want the added expenses or responsibilities. We don't want a long-term commitment. Meanwhile, 53 million babies have been killed by abortion since 1973. 53 million people. My generation, Gen X, is one-third smaller. I should have that many more people that I know, but I don't know them, and I never will. Those reasons that I gave are the reasons why people get abortions. Those are the number one reasons, self-identified, because they want to finish school or they want to progress in their job. They, want, they don't want the added cost. They don't think they can afford it. They don't want a long-term commitment with the relationship that they're in. So basically, they want what they want, and they don't want the responsibilities. And meanwhile, a whole generation has been wiped out. This is important to me because when my mom got pregnant when she was 17, the adults in her life told her to get an abortion. This was 1975, so it was already socially acceptable and it was something that could have fixed it because she had no intention uh, at that time to stick it out with my dad. I am so very happy to be here. My mom was low-income. We were on government assistance. I dealt with divorce and all these kinds of terrible things in my childhood, all the things that people try to say make it okay to kill their baby, but I can tell you 100% that it's still worth it, and I would still rather be alive. If you had an abortion, I'm not here to condemn you. If you're a Christian, there's no condemnation. So I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just trying to say that this is what we do. We desire better jobs. We desire things for ourselves. So we kill, literally, sometimes. And it's not okay. The fact is, is that we don't just kill babies. We kill families, marriages, friendships, relationships. We kill the future. These are the things that we're willing to kill so that we can search after those things that we think we want, but ultimately never work. How many rich and famous people have to kill themselves before we recognize that that doesn't fulfill We look at people who ruin their lives with with drugs and alcohol and all these different things, and we think, why would they do that? They had so much going on for them. Because we look at the external things, the things that we covet, money, jobs, houses, bling, blah, 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 and we think, well, then they must have it all together. But the fact of the matter is they don't have it all together because ultimately, searching after yourself is never going to satisfy trying to fix things with ourselves is never going to satisfy. And that's why it bothers me so bad when I see this in the church. I get fired up about it. When I hear someone in our church, not this building, but in the church, preach about how the Bible says that we can all be rich, I get so mad. I have never punched someone in my life ever. I have been in multiple fights where other people have punched me, but I have never been a puncher. But I'm telling you guys, if there's one time that I really want to punch someone, it's when a Christian stands up and tells you that you can have what you want. I watched a show one time. I was just flipping through the channels, and the dude, I kid you not, he pulled out a magazine, and he said, here's a boat. You could have this. Here's Here's a diamond watch. You can have this. Here's a car. You can have this. What did he want? All we needed to do was give him some seed money, some faith seed money. Other people, and we have that song. The song that Overflow does where, I think it's Kirk Franklin, right, where he talks about no more miracle water and all this kind of stuff. That's not something they made up. There are people who claim to be Christians who do that nonsense. I've seen it myself where they have like a, a big table of napkins or tissues that they prayed over and said, send us your money, and by the way, we take Visa, so go into debt so that I can send you this that I prayed for and you will be healed. First of all, completely selfish. If you have the ability to heal people, will you please go heal everyone of malaria? You have a private jet. You could fly there. stupid sorry it's the only people i want to punch (laughs) timothy 6 5 says false teachers think that godliness is a means to financial gain but godliness with contentment is gain that is the gain guys prosperity doesn't mean money it never did and it never will Godliness with contentment is your great gain. For we brought nothing, there's no verse if you're looking for it, it's just here. I saw it flipping in my, I was like, all right, yeah, I better tell them. Uh, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That's our calling, to be content with what God gave us. Not to be searching out for m- uh, all these material things. page two. Who knows this song? I know you do. We're in Nashville, right? No one wants to sing it. All right. I heard it. I heard you. Amen. Okay. Yeah, I just amen, Garth Brooks. Um, James 4, 2. You do not have because you did not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I have to admit that I have prayed for money before. And I also have to admit that when I prayed for money, I did intend to use that money in some situations for personal reasons. I'm sure I'm the only one here that has done that. So let me just speak about myself for a second here, okay? Is it any wonder? looking back on page one, with the kind of people that we are, is it any wonder that God doesn't answer our prayers? What would he do if we're those people? I mean, the world is already kind of a jacked up place, right? But if he answered all of your prayers, we, we saw that movie, right? What was it called? Huh? Bruce Almighty, that's right, when he started saying yes to everything. Yeah, terrible idea. I think God has it figured out. There is a chapter, though, in Matthew 6. uh, Matthew 6 says, uh, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's talking about giving, praying, fasting, looking towards heaven. But there are a lot of verses like this where it says, Ask and you will receive, right? Knock and the door will be opened. And then we hear things like, Well, why doesn't God answer our prayers? For instance, You know, I went to a a Christian college. I got a Christian Bible degree. I thought that I was going to end up using that all the time. I also got, like, an incredible amount of student loans. And I've kind of expected that if that really was God that told me to go there, then God would somehow miraculously write me a check in the mail and pay off my student loans. That has not (laughs) happened. But here, in context, I wonder... If God did pay off my student loans or my house, what would I do with my extra money? What would you do? I know a lot of people think that thought. What if I won the lottery, right? And then what pops into your head? Is it selfish? I'd like to think that part of it wouldn't be selfish. But I think probably a lot of it would, in which case that does kind of explain why people who win the lottery end up going bankrupt. So I guess getting the money wasn't really solving the problem. So it it does make a lot of sense then that when we ask with the wrong motives, God would say no. And it's not just about the cheesy stuff in that song. It's about everything. We ask for things all the time. And if our motives are not right, then God's not going to answer those prayers. But how do you put that together with what he says in other parts of the Bible, because the Bible should not contradict itself, right? So what do you do with that? Well, here, I've I've reconciled it for you. Um, And I, I, I didn't put a D on there, because I was like, this is my gangsta. Reconcile. That was for Brad and Justin. God will say yes when our desires align with his goals. When we desire God and his kingdom, we don't have to worry about stuff. And furthermore, we will no longer desire those things that we currently desire. So there's a question there inside of you. You need to answer, what do you desire? What are you coveting? Because ultimately it comes down to one or the other. I'm either continuing to covet my selfish desires, the things that I want from me, or I am coveting a relationship with God. I want his kingdom. Now, I wrote this before we sang, you know, before we were hearing about yes and amen earlier today uh, while we were doing worship. But when we seek for God, the answer is yes and amen. But when we're looking out for ourselves, the answer is no in whatever the amen version of no is. No and no. Yes and amen always cracks me up anyways. It's yes and yes. But no and no. The answer is no. Do people still get rich? Do people still get all the things and you look at it and you're like, man, it looks like they're getting everything that they want? Yes. But many times that's theft. Right? They're either stealing that from their relationship with their family by working too much. They're stealing it from, you know, their relationships with other people. They're stealing it from their health. Or they're stealing it from other people, which is a legitimate way that the world thinks it's okay to get your desires because, after all, you deserve Alexis. And if you don't make enough money, find a way to make money, even if that means taking it from other people. There is no magic workaround for this. Too often in our church, we have this idea, and again, I'm talking about Christianity, too often in our Christian church, we have this idea that if we just say something in the name of Jesus, then it happens. But that is not true. It is patently not true. I just got really nervous when I know what I'm about to do because I'm like, man, you could totally show me up right now. But in the name of Jesus, I ask for an apple. Where is it? That's facetious, but it's true because you can't just tag in the name of Jesus on something selfish and expect God to handle it. When we talk about tithes and offerings, too often, tithe is considered, is, is explained to us like it's some kind of like um, exchange. Like, you give me 10% of your money, and God will make sure that you have enough to get everything you want. But that doesn't work like that. Has anybody here ever tithed and still been in debt? Has anybody ever tithed and still had problems meeting their bills? That's not how it works, because it's not ever supposed to have been about you. You cannot tithe 10% of your money and be responsible with that, and then be irresponsible with 90% of your money and expect God to fix it because you were smart with 10%. That's just, that's dumb math. (laughs) So you can't tag on a magic saying at the end of it. You can't give 10%. You can't come weekly to church and sign an attendance card. You can't say in the name of Jesus and expect everything to happen. It doesn't work like that. God is not our magic genie that if we rub him the right way, he does exactly what we want him to do. God is the boss. Sometimes people say, well, Satan and Jesus are doing battle. Two most powerful, a lot of people, say, two most powerful beings. I'm like, that is dumb. (laughs) Everything that exists is held together by the mere whim of Jesus. At any given moment, he can erase Satan from the memory And reality of everything that's ever existed. I might be in the middle of a sentence trying to say his name, and none of us would know who I was talking about because Jesus forgot. He's that powerful. There is no cosmic battle going on. In the end, in Revelation, when Jesus comes back, it's not really gonna be a sword fight and a battle where somehow there's the possibility that someone's gonna get in a good lucky lick and get Jesus. That's not gonna happen. We're talking about the most powerful creature, not creature, the most powerful thing being person that exists. There's no way we can control him. A long time ago, I made a cartoon. I wish I had brought it. I call it the Gifts on Demand Machine, G-O-D for short. All you have to do is put in one token prayer and you get what you want because that's how we treat God sometimes. We sing about his goodness We claim that he's going to give us what we want, and we go about living our selfish lives the same way we did before we had God, but now we have hell insurance. Which is like the worst way to describe salvation, if you think about it. Hell's never an option for a Christian. It's not hell insurance or whatever. Hell is desiring to not be with God. You can come to church all the time, and you might still go to hell. And the scariest passages in the Bible all tell us that. Remember the sheep and the goats? When didn't we do this? We cast out demons in your name, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And he's like, I don't even know who you are. They came to church all the time. They may have tithed. They may have prayed in the name of Jesus, but their desires never changed. They didn't want God. So they don't get God. C.S. Lewis says at the end, Two outcomes are possible. At the end, when you die, you're going to say to Jesus, your will be done, as if it's like not going to be anyways, but whatever. Or God is going to say to you, your will be done. Have a blast in eternity without me. That's what you want. That's what you get. He doesn't send people to hell who don't want to go to hell. He lets people go to hell who don't want to be with him. It's hard to go from that to Greece, but I'm going to do it anyways. Who knows this one? Who can sing this one? Yes. You know what? It works like this in the class too. Like the first couple times they're very nervous and then they'll build it up and by the end I'll have someone like, the one that I want, you know, and they'll be singing and it'll be like, there'll be like a spotlight on them. I don't know how they'll have gotten that done, but they'll do it. Yes. The one that I want, it all comes down to this. So here, look at you guys are like so ahead of me. You adulterous people you don't you don't know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. This is not out of context. This is the very next verse. What does it mean to be worldly or to want the world? Go back a couple of verses and it explains it to you. You want stuff. You want material goods, you want yourself you want satisfaction for you. Your eyes are on you. That's worldliness. That's you being a friend of the world. It's not that you like movies or books or any of that kind of nonsense. I remember growing up and I was, you know, I was taught, you know, if you read certain kinds of b- books, that's worldliness. So you have to read the Christian version of that. There was recently this lady, and I, I really hope it was a joke, but I don't think it was. She was like rewriting Harry Potter to make his magic into prayer. It was like Hogwarts School of Prayer and Praise or something really stupid and ridiculous. Are you kidding me? If you don't want to read Harry Potter, then don't read Harry Potter. But you can't unworldly it by changing the words. There's not a difference. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not Christian because we sell it in a Christian store. It's still just a wooden statue of an, like a cherub. It doesn't have like it's not a Christian statue now. It's just a statue you bought at the Christian bookstore. Do you understand the difference there? You get him at Walmart cheaper. <laughs> it's the same exact thing. It's not a Christian tchotchke. It's a waste of money. There comes, there comes my judgmentalism. I apologize. Oh, I apologize. Sometimes I can just be really terribly judgmental. Uh, and the paintings... Don't get me started on this painter of light guy, okay? Like, why is that in the Christian bookstore? I mean, it's like a mill. Anyways, I'm on the side of it. I just don't understand it. I apologize. Buy it if you want it. Good for you. Remember, 22,000 babies, uh, kids a day. That was guilty. I was like, well, I win that argument. Okay, no, never mind about that. I was really terrible. Um, So the definition of worldliness. So here it is. James is telling us that basically we have two choices. We can continue to go the world way, and that's either trying to keep up with the Joneses or to try to be the Joneses, or we can seek God and do it the godly way. Those are our two choices. And that comes down to everything. That's idolatry from the get-go, right? I mean, from the very beginning, thou shalt have no other God before me. I still quote King James on that, so there you go, Justin. Um, right? But that's it, right? You can't have anybody else in front of me. Well, if I put my desires before God's desires, then I am doing that. I am guilty of idolatry. Covetousness is another one where I want something someone else has. They're both there. There's only 10. And this comes up all the time. In our culture, that's, our, that's like our goal in life is to get what somebody else has and to put ourselves first. Our culture has done a really great job of of getting our eyes on us instead of on Jesus. And it's not like there's a vast conspiracy out there like that's running the culture. No, we run the culture and we are selfish so we drive the message that we reinforce. We see it all the time. The world is not going to be trying to, to uh, repent. The world or a worldly person, a non-believer, is not going to be okay with admitting that their sin is wrong, so what are they going to do? They're going to spend a lot of effort and time on making sure that their sin is legitimized. I mean, I hear people on television all the time saying, yeah, I'm a B. That's just who I am. Take it or leave it. And I'm like, you know how terrible that sounds? Look, first of all, you shouldn't want to be that kind of person. Second of all, you're trying to hide up that sin by making it into some kind of like twisted virtue. It's not the same, but we do that sometimes, right? We have like these badges of pride. Pride parades crack me up, doesn't matter what it is, but you have a parade and and you're prideful about something that seems like a bad idea for Christians. Like, hey, I'm prideful and I always like to mix it up. I always like to put different things in there. Like I fully expect and, and, and it will be terrible but also funny when we have, like, the adulterer's pride parade, right? Swinger's pride parade. Well, we don't have that now, but we have all kinds of things that people are prideful about now that didn't used to be okay, but as we continue to chip away at this and make basically the world into our image where every kind of wrong thing we do is okay, I fully expect the other kinds of sins that we do in the world to continue to become more legitimate, I think only me and maybe Rodney Boyd know this next one. Does anybody know this song? I thought so. It's PFR. You should look it up because it's genius. Pray for rain. Here's the next one Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I really think he probably had exclamation marks here. I just don't know if there's a Greek exclamation mark. So be like, wash your hands, you sinners. You know, get into it a little bit. if I was like more Baptist, I'd be all over this. Purify your hearts. I'm not talking bad about Baptists. Gosh. But my Baptist friends are very passionate. I love them. Grieve, mourn, and wail. That's just not a passage you normally get, right? How about this one? Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. I did not write that backwards. That is what James said. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So we have this situation where James is explaining that these are the sins that we have, the sins of us the sins of covetousness and idolatry, the searching out of materialistic things, the the way that we put every other relationship and every other person under toe, under foot, so that we can exalt ourselves. And then he says, don't you know that's wrong? Because you are putting yourself above God. And then he says, here is the cure. Keep in mind he's speaking to believers. Here is the cure. If you struggle with the things that we're talking about tonight, then you should fall on your face and grieve. You shouldn't be laughing and full of joy. You should be sad, mourning, and wailing. Because there is a time for the yes and and, and amen. There is a time for the joy, but that comes after. When does joy come? In the morning. What happens all night? Mourning and (laughs) the other kind of mourning, wailing, grief. That's our job. If we truly understand how amazing God is and our eyes are on God, then there is no good excuse for us to continue to live with the desires that we have without immediately responding that that is wrong. We should be falling on our face and saying, I am sorry. We should be. I am sorry that I spend extra money on me and instead of on money on, on the needs that you're here. We are his kingdom. When, good, when bad things are happening in the world, the reason they're happening a lot of times is because we aren't doing our job. We were created for good works before anything else was created. He had a plan for us. We're supposed to do stuff for him. And every time we don't do that good work, that's a good work that's not happening. What's the opposite of good? Bad. So, why is bad stuff happening? Because we're not doing the good stuff we're supposed to do. It's not all on us because non Christians aren't going to be the ones doing good. So, bad stuff's going to happen anyways. But we're supposed to be doing something about that. But instead, our eyes are on the things that we want. We see that new car, the new house, the new CD, the new video game, the new whatever, and our eyes get big. We want that stuff because we think that we deserve it, that it's going to make our our, our lives better, it's going to make me feel better to get the things that I see, the things that I want. And if anything gets in the way, even another human, we kill. All we need to do is we need to look at this and say that James and Jesus and God have already told us what to do already confirmed what you should probably be feeling if you suffer from these things, that I should repent. It's not a happy sermon today. What it is is a sermon that leads to happiness because my desire in James is not to run run you down and tell you how terrible things are. It's to tell you that there's something better for you because the desires that you're trying to feel and the way you're trying to worship yourself is not going to work. You're going to end up empty. You're going to be defeated, and your life is going to be terrible. Like David said, he doesn't want to be in charge of his finances because he knows what he's going to do with it, the stress, the anxiety, the problems, the things he's going to do. It's all trouble. When we take what we think is control, in reality it's not control, it's the illusion of control. When we try to have control of our lives and try to do the things that we want for ourselves, all we do is make our lives miserable. We start quarreling and we start fighting with people. We start hurting people in our families, in our society, in our church, and so on. James ends chapter four with a passage with just a single verse. There's other stuff that he talks about, but he ends it in this thing. Again, James is one guy writing one sermon. I know it goes together. If anyone knows the good they're supposed to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. This doesn't mean that if you know you're supposed to tip five bucks and you don't, then not tipping five bucks is a sin. No. The sin is that God told you to do something and you didn't do it. So when we talk about this, James told you how to handle it. Change your mind. Focus on God and not on the desires that are currently ruling you. And if you know that you should and you don't, all you're doing is adding to that pile of sin. You're a Christian. You're going to heaven. This isn't about that. What it is is about how valuable you are here to the kingdom and the amount of joy that you have now and for eternity. That's the difference, okay? It's not about a real crown in heaven or all this kind of stuff. It's about recognizing and actually participating with God in what he's trying to do on this planet. That's our job. That's our role. So you guys can come and do a a song right now. What I want to do, though, is I don't want to let you go. I want you to have an opportunity to get it out and to knock it off. This isn't just you. This is me. I've been reading this for a long time, and it's been kicking my butt. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, it's been kicking my butt, okay? When I look at this, I'm like, I know the desires that I have, and they're all selfish. This is the kind of person I am. We need to pray that God will change our hearts. All we have to do is ask him for help. So what I want to do is, while they're playing, I want the young lions to come up here and be available to pray with you. And if you want that prayer, come and pray by yourself. Come pray with one of our friends. No one is here to judge you. I don't care what sins you've done in the past, what sins you're doing right now, that's not my business. What's my business is that there's a message that James wants you to hear, and I really want you to have life more abundantly. So he's going to sing, you guys, come and pray.
1: Fix my eyes on you The author of my faith Casting aside every sin
0: for you if you take it to heart. Let me give you guys a blessing. May the Lord, may the God and Father, I'm trying so hard to do like Ronnie, may the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ fix your eyes on Him. Help you to let go of the illusion of control and focus on God instead. Let those desires go and make you into the person that you're supposed to be in the kingdom for the good works that He made for you. In Jesus' name, Amen.